2: on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside And 1050
3: AM Palm Screens. I don't know what you have to do to be taken serious. I think the only time you're taken seriously
2: is when someone is murdered. We'd always heard about things on TV, you know, but never really realizing how that would impact us until it happened to our family.
1: It's our aboriginal communities that have been
3: searching for our own and really trying to, you know, get some addresses. I've had to hit-check myself, and it was because I had no money, right? You wouldn't put yourself in a, in a position of danger if you had money.
0: It's a big barrier in, in a lot of communities, and hit-checking becomes a part of life.
2: Our lives are entangled with the with women mm-hmm. who've gone missing and been murdered over the years.
3: You know, it can't be a
1: secret. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about it.
0: If a young woman is feeling victimized, you know,
2: who is she going to trust to go to? I don't think that First Nations in general think that the RCMP are someone that they can go to for help. So who do we trust, from the police to the judges to the bullshit?
0: It doesn't just affect the family, it affects the whole community. And from there, it affects, you know, like there's people all over the world that it is affecting.
3: As a leader, I think that it's my responsibility to ensure that I share my story because all it takes is one person to hear that story and it may change their lives.
2: You know, there's going to be a day that I hope not very long down the road where all women will be protected, all women will be safe. She was a mother
3: and my sister and she was my best friend and yeah, we just really miss her and, and I still miss her, you know.
2: Tuned into the House of Mystery with your host, Al Warren. Only on the Z Talk Radio Network.
3: Okay, we're back now. And joining us, as we said earlier, it's uh, Matt Smiley. He's the director producer of Highway of Tears and uh, just recently won uh, Best Documentary at the Malibu Film Festival. And uh, so let's start out. Well, um, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. And
3: uh, how are you doing today?
1: I feel pretty good today. Um, In general, a little bit under the weather, but with regards to the movie, it's been a couple of months now that we've started screening it at festivals. Uh, We've done three festivals so far, and we started last March, uh, on March 6th, at the uh, TIFF Human Rights Watch Festival in Toronto, Uh, and that was a very, very... It was a great screening. I think we had over 650 people there, um, obviously run in conjunction with the Toronto Film Festival and the Human Rights Watch, where they screen um, eight movies that all have uh, very strong ties to Human Rights Watch. And um, and then we, we did a screening also for the families of the victims and the communities and the RCMP over in Northern British Columbia, uh, which was well-received. And then about two weeks ago, I was in uh, Waterloo, uh, just outside of Toronto for the Zonta Film Festival, and there we won Best of the Festival as well. And uh, that festival, they also helped raise over $25,000 for women's shelters. Wow. And then uh, we just had our US premiere uh, on Saturday, uh, December 6th at the Malibu Film Festival, which was was uh, yeah it was a very very special evening. We had a um, a nice awards dinner afterwards. and uh, yeah, very very surprised to now do two festivals that have prizes that we've won um, back-to-back as well.
3: well. That's great. That's good to hear. Now, now, so, I come across it by accident, sort of. Um, I um, On the House of Mystery show here, we, we go over unsolved m- murder sort of things, or cases that we never really got an answer for. And um, I caught you on a friend of mine who does a radio show in Minnesota here, Minneapolis. And... Uh, uh, Darkness Radio, and he was talking about the high, Highway of Tears, the murders and stuff. So, and doing research, I found all sorts of, there's there's no real or answer on what's right or what it is. Now, I guess the Highway of Tears is, is sort of associated with the highways north in BC, Canada, um, 1697 and 5, and it's an 800-kilometer section of the highway uh, between Prince George and Prince Rupert. Um now it says on the in the fact sheet that uh the murders happened between 1969 and 2011. So is that Now I've heard different amounts uh different anywhere from 5 murders to 40. So wh- what can you tell us about that? Um
1: it is a very very complex issue and then when you look at the exact murders um with regards to just the Highway of Tears, there is a program called the Epana program, which was set up under the E-Division uh, at the RCMP to focus just on 18 cases that they had pinpointed the similar characteristics. Um, but uh, outside of those 18 cases, there's well over 40 missing and murdered documented women. And I can tell you beyond a reasonable doubt that those numbers are probably doubled, if not tripled, um, in the last couple of years. Uh, for the majority, none of those cases are reported, either you know, to the public or the media. Um, so it is a really grave issue. There's definitely one girl that I've followed um Fairly closely for the last uh, two years now, Uh, Immaculate Basil, and she went missing two summers ago, and she was uh, a cousin of one of the people that I interviewed in the film, so it kind of hit me fairly hard, and um, they did a little bit of a search and rescue, but didn't find anything, and so still to this day, she's missing, and, and there's really nothing ever mentioned about her. Uh, in the media, either.
3: Well, let's start with that. Uh, why do you think it's not mentioned in the media? Like, I can see an occasional murder or two. There's a lot going on, so it doesn't, you know, to get the spotlight, it has to stick out. I, I kind of get that, but this seems like a lot of murders <laughs> not to mention.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little disconcerting, and it's true. I think after a certain while, you know, it's like which murders are important, what's the the focus. I definitely understand, you know, how the, the, what is newsworthy, what is not newsworthy, but I think with regards to these cases, it's true that the communication, I would say, between the families, or in this case, the indigenous population, and uh, the police and or the media outlets isn't strong, so I think when somebody goes missing and they don't have the means, whether it be you know phone lines or or access to media outlets, that that these cases go sort of largely forgotten.
3: So I guess now a lot of these are, and I guess I, I sort of get the the idea that this is like a. Uh, largely uh, First Nations issue. Is that, is that correct or is that, am I reading that wrong?
1: I think you are reading it correct, where first and foremost, it is a First Nations indigenous issue, mainly because of the uh, systemic racism over the years, the, general, um, the generational poverty that they've had to deal with, mainly more as a, as a population. But the problem is is that it trickles in, and this is something that I, I focus on fairly um, pointedly in the documentary, is that because you have, within some of these cities, a lot of other uh, families from various different socioeconomic backgrounds, that it starts to affect everybody, where people seem to turn a blind eye on the First Nations women going missing or getting murdered. But as soon as a, a Caucasian girl and or male, because um, obviously we focused on the females, but there is an issue of the the men going missing or being murdered as well. But there is a trickle in effect, uh, because it seems like it's almost that it's okay that these women are, are, are getting taken away.
3: A lot of them are just going missing. They're not finding the bodies, right? Or some of them they found.
1: Um, They definitely found some of them, um, some of the bodies. And yeah, a a number of them have gone missing. Uh, I know I've heard rumors about the the Skeena River where some of them are. I know the RCMP claims that a lot of them are maybe drowning cases. Um, But yeah, for the majority, just because it's such a vast um, area, uh, the v- bodies are usually not found, or by the time that they go look for them, it's probably just too late to have any leads.
3: So now you said there was men as well. I didn't even realize that. I didn't notice any men victims. But then again, that's maybe the media or kind of what's been reported. How many men of of, of that, that that you do think that were sort of? Taken? Oh,
1: I mean the exact number I I can't be sure of because even with the women. Um, We don't have exact numbers. When I started the documentary, um, it was, and if we talk just Canada-wide, it was over uh, 400. And then then it went up to 600 when we were just about finishing. And a little bit before screening in March, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police released a a report and then the amount of missing and murdered Aboriginal women across Canada was over 1400. And then there's um, some groups that I'm fairly close and affiliated to, um, among which uh, Gladys Raddick, who is just named one of the top 10 Canadian heroines. She's walked across Canada um, uh, several times to raise awareness for this, but her her, Her numbers tally up to, I think, a little over three thousand four hundred. So it is a grave, grave issue when you think that the Indigenous population makes up only about two percent of the Canadian population.
2: Right.
3: So what do you think that what do you think is going on? And I mean that in a case of um, now it's it's mainly um, the Aboriginals, you're saying and. and that so do you, and and you said it increased now over the last few years, so is that is that just like you yeah. think there's copycats going on, or do you think that it's still one person or one group that's involved in this?
1: I definitely am. I'm obviously not a criminologist, and and but you know I've, I've spoken to a, a number of police officers and people from the communities. I think you know some of the murders is probably uh, people within the community. Um, that are aware of it but maybe afraid to talk about it. I think the scariest part I don't think is necessarily copycats. In this case I, I think it's more predators by opportunity which is almost more frightening because they're not I think and you would know probably to a certain degree more than I do but serial killers have a, a certain pattern and, you know, aside from some of these, uh, in the cases of the murdered women that have been found, sure, there are some similarities, which is why it brings them all together as far as, uh, that EPANA group of 18, 18 girls, but the predators by opportunity, it's just somebody that's driving on the side of the road, sees an opportunity to, um, take advantage of somebody and obviously through force uh, will be able to do so uh, with somebody in a vulnerable position.
3: Yeah, It's something we don't really think about in Canada either, it's typically not a, a high murder rate.
1: No, not at all, um, and also for me growing up uh, I grew up in the East Coast, but you also never really find out much about the heritage, uh, you know, the First Nations or the, the native people. Um, which I've definitely gotten very close to over the last little while. Um, but then you also have a little bit of the trickle effect where, you know, we're on the the, um, the West Coast now, and actually it was two years ago that the RCMP um, teamed up with Interpol and solved a case from 1974, and that was for um, Colleen McMillan, and she was – linked to uh, a murderer, this guy, Bobby Jack Fowler, and he was out of um, Oregon. Oh. And so he was a transient roofer, you know, from the U.S. And he, w- he was going up and working. He worked up in Prince George, but all along um, Highway 16, uh, which is where he, um, he murdered one of the victims, who was a young 16-year-old girl. Uh, obviously, that case you know dates back to 1974, and they just solved it two years ago. just shows you the dedication, obviously, the police having some closure to some of these cases, but uh, there's still a lot of work to do. Right, yeah. It's been very and slow. by the time they found him, he was dead and thankfully in prison yeah. at the time of his death.
3: Huh. Do you think he did any of the other murders, or that, do you think that that's not... I guess it's going to be pretty tough. Um,
1: definitely, I'm sure they had him linked to, I believe, two or three other murders, but they didn't have uh, substantial evidence. Uh, judging by his prior histories of arrests, I would not be surprised at all, because I know at the time, the last time he was put in prison, um, he had locked a, a girl in his hotel room and was trying to murder her and she managed to jump out one of the windows which is how the police uh ended up tracking him down so i would i would take an educated guess that definitely not his only victim
3: yeah sounds like his style so yeah okay well let's stop for a quick break okay we're back now and uh Let's, let's talk a little bit about the, how, how did you get the idea for the movie, or like where did, when did it come along for you?
1: I got the idea, I went to go visit uh, my sister who lives in northern British Columbia. Uh, I'm currently in California, but uh, I hadn't seen her in, in a couple of years, and she had just given birth uh, to my niece. And we went on a camping trip about 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes, outside of Prince George, which is in the north of, uh, BC. And we went to this place called Clucas Lake and, uh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. So the, the first thoughts of my mind, just as a filmmaker, is that I, I wanted to shoot something up there. Mainly I wanted to stay close to my sister and, and, and it seemed like just such a beautiful area. So I was trying to, at night, you know, we were around a campfire and I was, I was, Saying it was so beautiful and I'd love to shoot any kind of story there. And, and um, one of the guys that was sitting around the campfire said, Well, if, you know, you want stories, there are some pretty uh, scary ones here too. And, you know, they were most of them tree planters that I was hanging out with. And uh, they had a close connection to one of the victims on the Highway of Tears list, which was Nicole Horn. And, uh, so when I found out about her, cause she was a hitchhiker and she was going to visit her sister and decided to hitchhike and she's since been missing. Uh, so I started researching her case and that's where I found out about the highway of tears where it was not just one girl that I noticed was missing, but that there was a major, major pattern as far as in that area. And, and, uh, so the more I started researching, then I started speaking to some of the families, and I realized that doing a, a, a just a regular film was not at all a possibility. And um, doing a regular film was um, not a possibility. And I, I I knew I had to do a documentary because a lot of these families that I spoke to, um, I don't want to say they didn't have.
2: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host
1: the voice because they all have a voice and i think it was just not being heard
3: right and so now is there anything particular that happens to the bodies that they've they've discovered did they like um, do they all have the same sort of pattern of murder or they have they been abused sexually or cut up or anything in particular that s- sticks out
1: um definitely with the amount of cases that i researched and and obviously in the doc i don't get into the specifics of how they were murdered mainly because the main focus of the doc was not necessarily to in in empower women but to to, to to show the the effects of what it does to the family, and not necessarily pinpoint, you know what kind what kind of style the murders were in, but you know just off the top of my head, in terms of hearing some of these uh, stories, you know some there's instances with with shoelaces being used to, you know, cut their air passages or. Um, you know, in, in one of the cases, uh, one of the victims was obviously abused, uh, sexually. Many, many, many of them have been. And, uh, in one particular case, uh, she was dragged behind a truck for at least a mile. Um, so when, you know, their family actually discovered her, uh, there was no possibility to have, you know, to see her. Um, but, as far as similarities and stuff, I think that police also keep a fairly tight lid on on the similarities between some of the murders, or maybe slightly too graphic to to talk about.
3: Right. So now, because you, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So now on the on the it's been uh, forty five years since nineteen sixty nine. I guess that's the first yep. murder. So forty five years on a person would make them. Quite a bit older now. Yeah, I mean, you know, sixty-five maybe, or yeah, that—that's a long time to go. Um, so, so you think it's still—it's just been one person primarily.
1: Uh, as far as one murderer, or is yeah, that what you're one saying?
3: like yeah, kind of like what is It's just been like one serial killer that's done kind of the majority of these. I mean, there's always other murders thrown in because we don't know, and it's in the same area, but um the the primary part of these murders do you think it's just been one person behind it
1: uh no, I think there's several, and I think you know when you start peeling away the lo- the layers it's obviously not just eighteen women it's over forty just along you know that those um three different stretches of highway highway sixteen ninety five and um uh sorry sixteen ninety seven and five is um they are predators by opportunity, so there's certain people that wouldn't normally do it, but maybe on an off day they'll they'll pick somebody up and and uh, you know uh, abuse them and 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 dispose of their bodies. So I think there was if we look at uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Robert Picton case, oh yeah, yeah, sheer number of. Of women that that he he was capable of of luring in and killing is is uh, is unbelievable and so I think <clears throat> because the North is not in a city and there's not that much access to even find out exactly how many girls to this date are missing and or murdered that m- my my guess is that we're going to find out that the numbers are much higher than we actually think they are. So it's definitely not one killer. Uh, And then you look at other cases that, that I bring up in the film, like there's a judge Ramsey who was a judge that was sexually abusing young girls as young as 12 and, um, and abusing them, you know, to the point of, them not being able to to see etc etc that there's a strong possibility that you never know to what extent uh, his past
3: was right right so now is there any suspects right now or do, uh, that they that they talk about or the police have let us know or
1: um they do have some but from what I've seen I know these cases are fairly stagnant I know they were getting close to a suspect in one of the cases which was for Nicole Hoare hadn't been any arrests or anything specific Um, and then you have other cases like the Ramona Wilson case uh, where she was um, uh, reported missing and You know, the authorities didn't really react for a while, and then the two ATV uh, drivers found her remains a year later by the Smithers Airport, and her killer still hasn't been found, and this has been, this was 20 years ago. They just had, I think, their 20th anniversary, because they do a walk every year, Mm. And the RCMP has since dropped her case due to lack of leads.
3: Hmm. So now, that's the RCMP, and I know there's quite a segregation. So what about the uh, First Nations Police Force themselves? Have they followed up or done anything themselves?
1: Um, I mean, as far as the First Nations Police, they're they're linked in with the RCMP, so it's all part of that, and I don't think they have the resources at all to investigate any of these cases especially when you get with regards to criminology um, as you know there's a lot of uh, scientific and specific ways of dealing with the evidence in order to actually solve some of these cases And I think it's also manpower in terms of getting people on the ground and and questioning people
3: hmm. so you don't think it's going to stop you think the murders are going to keep on going
1: the murders will definitely keep on going and uh, you know it, it happens constantly. A week before we premiered in Toronto, there was a young uh, student from the University of um, Halifax and she was doing her thesis on missing and murdered women um, across Canada. Uh, her name was Loretta Saunders and about a week before we premiered, Uh, she was found murdered in a hockey bag off the side of the highway. Wow. And they've actually since caught um, her murderers. Uh, I mean, I guess still innocent until proven guilty. Um, But their trial is coming up. So, you know, I think these cases, uh, and I think it's human nature that they will continue. But I think what I've noticed definitely with the documentary and with the awareness that's started to build is that people are a little bit more vigilant. And hopefully there's more resources to try to protect the women. And what I've been, you know, a fairly big is uh, pushing for a national inquiry in Canada into the missing and murdered women. And finding a way that we can, um, you know, at least increase uh, transportation in the area. Um, help out with education so some of these women won't be caught in situations where they need to hitchhike or aren't educated enough to not get into the car with a a stranger that could be uh, lead to a fatal mistake
3: yeah that would be a good thing and and so is there one case that stuck out in particular for you or is there one that really uh bothers you the most
1: i i wouldn't say that one case in particular bothers me the most, and, I, and I've since, I mean, I, I think as far as particular cases, I've, I've heard well over, uh, well into the hundreds as far as family members that have reached out to me afterwards, and not necessarily just along the, the highway of tears. Um, and it would be less so the cases, but more how it affects the families, especially when in, in a certain case when the their justice is not served and the killers aren't found uh, or that their daughters or sisters or mothers are not found, there's this huge gap or black hole you know in their hearts that it's just it's it's very hard to uh, to hear
3: their stories yeah it's pretty unresolved I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it, it, it's a, it's always disconcerting to hear stories of, you know, extreme violence happening to girls as young as 11, 12, 13, 14, no matter what the age. It's obviously horrible, but, but to think, you know, also these very, very young, innocent girls. And I know in the media, they try to say that many of these women are high-risk individuals, like either prostitutes or drug addicts or you know, uh, abusers of alcohol, um, but they're still, you know, somebody's uh, daughter or sister. And in this case, when you're talking about 12-year-olds, they're just young individuals that need support from the community if they don't get it from their parents.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, they can be high-risk in the sense of of being out there, um, doing whatever they do, but... uh Doesn't mean they should be murdered, you know, or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. So now, so do you think there's um, is it like sort of a systemic racism kind of from from this involved, or is it just a lack of finance, or what do you think the, the
1: there there's there, there's two things number one, systemic racism is a hundred percent on target and true. there is systemic racism i've seen it in the cases i've tried myself to push certain cases along that I've found out about um, through the through the course of it and obviously like i'm a am a filmmaker it's not something that I would want to get involved in, but you know for the the when I start dealing with some of the families and they don't get answers. Uh, I definitely tried to push certain ones, but I think there is a level, and now that I've been closer to it, I think racism always goes two ways. Um, you know, and I think it's it, it it's on both ends, and also, with regards to solving these cases or more where my focus is is on the prevention, is that it needs to go both ways where. Uh, everybody needs to work together uh, in order to achieve results and find, you know, there was, a, there was the Wally Opal investigation uh, which looked into the Picton murders and what, you know, the, the Vancouver police could have done better to, to protect the women. Right. And then also in 2006, there was the Highway of Tears symposium Uh, which they came up with 33 recommendations, including, you know, obviously increased bus service, health care, et cetera, et cetera. All those things will definitely help, but if various organizations are kind of going against each other, then I don't think very much will get accomplished.
3: Right. So um, tell us a little bit about the uh, documentary film that you've made. Um, What kind Uh of... What kind of area do you cover in it?
1: I, I cover, um, I mean, I, I definitely dive deep into, um, we talk about the residential schools, which is uh, one of the first mandates of the Royal Can- Canadian Mounted Police was to um, take the young indigenous children away from their communities and put them into schools. Uh, where the Canadian government has now acknowledged that they were, you know, in in many cases severely abused, m- malfed, and, um, and beaten, which leads to you know generations of poverty, um, and also, in some cases, you know, mental abuse. Uh, and then I I I focused a lot on some very powerful First Nations women. And not necessarily, I mean, i definitely dive into a few cases to give an overview of the issue of what's happening. A few um, of the First Nations cases and a couple of the Caucasian families and how they had to deal with it and how they're affected. And I think what becomes very clear is that everybody's affected the same way, but the way that they're supported... Is usually very different right right. and I hope changing
3: okay so now is there any way a person can can see your film now or do how's it being distributed
1: Um, well we just literally started our our film festival circuit so we're to tour around I'm not 100% sure where our next screening is but I know we have two or three that are coming up in Canada um, I know in Seattle, we definitely have plans to screen it in the next little bit, but we're going to be releasing, I think, 37 cities um, throughout Canada and the U.S. and also in Europe in the, in the next couple of weeks. So now that we definitely have traction, um, we're in the midst of, of signing with a distributor to, to help us actually get it out to people.
3: Right. Okay, so now how how do people get a hold of you, and uh, let's give your contact information. Um,
1: The best way to get in touch with me uh, is also through the Highway of Tears website, and it's uh, www.highwayoftearsfilm.com, and there is a contact um, info page, and the emails uh, go directly to me and our other team members. And we're all pretty responsive and uh, which is usually the best way to get in touch with us.
3: Okay, that's great. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us and uh, good luck with uh, the future and
2: with your film.
1: Thank you so much and thank you for
2: having me. Okay. show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night.
0: This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network.
3: I'll be back.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now.